Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Today, of course, is February 28th, the last day of February. Normally, I don't note the date because it doesn't really matter, except this is that weird month. Where 30 days says September, April, June, and November, all the rest of 31, except for this one where it's got 28, except in leap years, which next year will be, this year is not. I'm, I I remember that. It, the little things you remember from grade school, I remember that one. Okay, I, I, I want to start off, actually, um, we got to do some several deep dives today. Um, we, we, there's a lot to talk about, but the biggest news today, of course, is the student loans. The student loan bailout program has gone to court, uh, not just to any court. It's gone to the United States Supreme Court today. Uh, and it, the court is at least the conservatives in particular, a little skeptical of what is happening. Um, the, the thing you got to know here is that uh, the Biden administration worked very, very hard to make sure that no one would be able to contest uh, what's actually happening. Uh, the big issue here is standing. Uh, let me explain standing to you. In order to bring a case to court, you must have standing. That means you individually must be injured in some way. The Biden White House arranged for the student loan bailout program uh, to be structured in such a way that there were people who would have injury. Uh, That injury uh, impacted their financial liability in other matters, uh, whether it was taxation or other issues. That when a person filed a lawsuit over that, the Biden administration then carved out an exception for people impacted in such a way. And so the argument was that the plaintiff now has no injury because the White House, the president, restructured the student loan bailout package so that he did not have to be impacted. He would not be impacted. And that makes standing very difficult. Courts like to um, engage on the issue of standing. They don't believe people should come to court unless they have a real grievance. The problem here is that this is a very clear issue of the White House doing something uh, that should be able to be challenged because it's unheard of and never been done before. And um, yet the White House tried very hard to make sure it would be impossible for a lawsuit to come forward based on the standing issue by providing that no one would be injured. Now, Congress could have pursued it, except uh, the Republicans were in the minority at the time when this happened. And so the House of Representatives and and the Senate, both controlled by Democrats, would have had standing to pursue it, but since they were controlled by Democrats, neither decided to file a lawsuit to stop it. 
the result of this is an argument over whether or not uh, there can be a level of standing, whether or not there can be any sort of injury based on this. You can say there's a taxpayer injury, but a taxpayer injury is is, is not very substantive when it comes to a, a legal situation. Uh, so now, the case, by the way, the, the arguments have been ongoing for quite a while. All that being said, uh, the standing issue, I assume what's going to happen is that at least five members of the court are going to say uh, there is standing to hear this case. They clearly want to hear this case. They clearly want to be able to decide it, and they want to be able to decide it on something called the major powers doctrine. That's the, once you've understood standing, you need to understand the major powers doctrine. Uh, What exactly is happening with this major powers doctrine? Okay, the major powers doctrine is the doctrine that says uh, when you do something big, such as forgive all of the loans of students in the country who have debt. When you do something big like that, you must have, if you're doing a major power, clear statutory congressional constitutional authority in order to do that. Where does the president, this is a a major power, the power to forgive debt is a major national power. That's not really disputed by anyone. It is a major thing, the a power to, to uh, wave off debts, billions of dollars of debt. And if it's a major power and the president is exercising this power, where does he get the statutory authority? This is one of those novel areas of inconsistency. Uh, if you don't believe me, Here's Nancy Pelosi. People think that the president of the United States, is this more on the subject than you ever want to know? Will you let me know? People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That That has to be an act of Congress. That's the problem. Notice the intellectual dishonesty. That's Nancy Pelosi when she was Speaker of the House of Representatives. And Nancy Pelosi in the House refused to defend their power. She said the president did not have the power, and yet she refused to defend the House's prerogative. The, where, where's the power of the purse? Congress. In particular, the House of Representatives. It is the people, not the states. The states are represented in the Senate. The people are represented in the House, and it is the people's house that has particularly the purse strings. The appropriations measures and, and, and the taxation measures, they come from the House first. That was Nancy Pelosi in July of 2021. And then the president did it anyway, and the House never decided to file suit. The House never decided to defend its turf. If it were Republicans, you and I both know everyone would be raising hell about it in the media, and the Democrats would be raising hell and screaming about how intellectually dishonest it is and the like. Nobody's doing that here. That's one reason that the, uh, the, the Supreme Court kind of wants to engage on this issue. If you're having to structure your student loan bailout in such a way to avoid anyone being able to challenge it, 
it suggests you're not very confident. And then there is this issue. The president of the United States has never done this before. When it's a novel issue, when it's something that's never been done before, or in this case, it's something that's never been done before, and a whole lot of people said he didn't have the power to do it, including, by the way, Joe Biden once said he didn't have the power to do it, and Barack Obama once said he didn't have the power to do it, and suddenly they find this novel, never-before-done power in the Constitution that the President of the United States, the executive who enforces the law, somehow can write new law, interpret law differently, and do something? Well, of course, the Supreme Court's going to want to take a look at it. And so they're doing it here. What the left has tried to do in the run-up to this case, by the way, is they, they, they have spun a sympathetic sob tale of all the people who would be burdened. You know who's burdened? This guy. I'm burdened by student loan debt. When I went to college, I went to Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. I got a, a fairly significant scholarship, paid for almost everything. When I graduated from college, my parents did have to pay some, they, just not as much as they otherwise would have. Uh, when I graduated from college, I had some student loan debt. My parents paid a little bit. I got student loan debt for some, wasn't a huge amount of money. And then I went to law school. Here's the way law school has been structured for people in the past. You can't work your first year. Now, that's not always enforced these days. When I was in law school, it was pretty strenuously enforced. Your first year in law school, you weren't allowed to work because you had to be fully focused on your studies. So if you didn't get scholarships, which I did not for law school, you had to pay for everything. You had to get student loans. And in those student loans, you not only had to get enough to cover the tuition and the books, but you had to get enough to cover your rent and food and living expenses for your first year. And so I did. I was on my own for law school. My parents weren't helping. I got I got lots of loans. I wound up getting a job towards the end of my first year just to help make ends meet and just didn't tell anybody. I still have about a decade left. When I got out of college, my wife had some student loan debt, which was not a lot. Um, I had a little bit from college, which wasn't a ton, but I had a massive pile, hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans that I've still got a decade to pay on. I pay $475 a month. I had to refinance it actually when interest rates went down. I was able to refinance and lock in and lower the payment. It had been over $500 a month. When I got out of law school and started working, my wife and I combined were making about $52,000 a year combined. Uh, we had a one month where our, we were renting a house and it had terrible insulation and gas prices at the time were high and our heating bill was over $500. We went without a lot that month. We were, we were on the beans and rice diet. And I had to defer my student loans more than once because I couldn't I couldn't pay them. Did not have enough revenue, did not have enough income in order to pay my student loan bills. And it was a terrible burden and I had to defer them. And then when you defer them, the interest continues to add up and the payments add up, which is why I'm still paying on them after, after multiple deferrals after I got out of law school. Plus having that time where I was paying for going through the bar exam, I had to take out a student loan to pay for the bar, bar exam and the bar loan and all of that sort of stuff. And I've still got that debt. 
I haven't practiced law since 2006, and I still have all my law school loan debt. Brilliant investment strategy. I get it. I get the sob story. I live the sob story. But here's the difference. I recognize I took out the loans. I knowingly took out the loans. I chose to burden myself. And I don't regret going to law school. I regret going to the law school I went to in large part because it was as expensive as it was. And I could have gone to a state school cheaper. I went to Mercy University's law school, my college alma mater. I went there for uh, law school as well. I, I probably should have gone to the University of Georgia or gone home to LSU uh, and, and done something there. But I, I'm glad I didn't. Uh, because met my my wife and I were able to get married and and settled on a career and fell into talk radio. But I I get the people like I can't make ends meet. I can't make ends meet. I can't get out of this. But you chose to do it. If we want to solve the problem, you know what we should do. The one of the greatest screw ups the Republican Party ever made was making it so you could not discharge your student loans in bankruptcy. We could fix this system almost overnight if we allowed people to file bankruptcy against their student loans. We could improve the system dramatically. Colleges have no incentive to restrain costs because they know that you can't file for bankruptcy against your student loans. You can file for bankruptcy, but you still got to pay your student loans. You can't get out of it. And so colleges can charge higher and higher and higher. They've got no interest, no incentive to restrain the costs of higher education because you're not going to be able to get out of that debt. If we would fix the damage the Republicans did on behalf of banks and universities in the early 2000s, we could go a long way towards solving part of the problem here. Would be a panacea, wouldn't fix everything, but we could certainly begin to fix it. But the idea that the president of the United States unilaterally has the power to forgive student loans, that's an act of Congress. That's always been an act of the legislature. There's never been a unilateral power of the president to be able to do this. And Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi said the president did not have the power to do it. The only reason Joe Biden did this is because he needed in the run-up to the midterm elections to satisfy young voters on the progressive side who otherwise weren't going to mobilize for him. So he upended the American constitutional system to do it. And today the Supreme Court is going to hear that case. And they do not seem to think the president of the United States has the power to do it based on oral arguments so far. And they would be right, just as Nancy Pelosi was right. And for all you people who say, well, you know how the Republicans behave with Donald Trump, I want you to look at this today. All of these Democrats said the president had no power to do this, and they did it anyway, and then tried to structure it in a way so that they can never be held accountable. Accountability happens today. So my kid has a queen size bed. We've got a king size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen size sheets and they got put in our closet and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. 
my goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now, and uh, it's just a a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code Eric at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The full number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. Happy to have you with me today. Let me go actually take a phone call here. I've got some time. Uh, Chris, you're going to be first. Welcome. Hi there, Eric. Hi. I want I wanted to call and thank you for expressing the sentiment that you're expressing because I am an Atlanta resident, just like you. I'm 45 and I'm a single mom and I have $100,000 in student loans and I refuse to apply for the forgiveness because they are my problem. I borrowed the money. I signed the promissory note. I knew exactly what I was getting into. I had no idea it was going to balloon into the problem that it is but it's still my responsibility. No one else bears the burden of what I did to myself. You know, so let, let me let me talk about your situation real quick, Chris, because this is the one that really makes me more matter than anything is by you doing the right thing, you've put yourself at a competitive disadvantage to other people who take the bailout. And you shouldn't be forced in the position of doing the right thing or getting ahead, and that's what this amounts to. Uh, the people who want to abscond on their obligations are given a competitive financial benefit by Joe Biden for absconding on their apl- obligations, and you doing the right thing, uh, recognizing it's your debt, uh, he is in some ways punishing you. And it's that's so, it makes me angry that uh, there shouldn't be a penalty for doing the right thing. I choose not to view it as him punishing me, but as him rewarding those who don't want to stand up and work for themselves. I mean, and my situation is a little unique. I moved to Atlanta to go to a prestigious private university right in Atlanta. I think we all can guess who. And um, (laughs) it was one of those schools that sends out the great stuff to high school seniors, and they never Mm -hmm. talk about cost. And I took out a ton of loans. And I have paid back most of those. But in two years, I realized I wasn't the competitive student that I was surrounded by. And I dropped out. I went to EMT school. I went to paramedic school. I took out student loans for those. And I worked for six years as a paramedic at Great. Chris, look, I I appreciate it. Um, I got to let you go because we got a hard break there. Uh, But thank you very much. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go back to the phones. Eddie, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Um, Eric, if, as you say, Joe Biden's fourth was before the midterm, implement this student loan forgiveness program, uh, then why does he care the outcome? Because he's going to feel like the program worked. 
he, the Republicans didn't lay a finger on him in the midterm. So politically, he won. So why in the world would he even care of the outcome on this one? Republicans who were supposed to slack him did not. I'd be interested in your comments. Yeah, you know that. Look, that's a, that's a great point. Um, the policy worked, and you know if the Supreme Court throws it out, uh, he gets to blame the conservatives on the court uh, for this and Roe v. Wade. And yeah, I mean this is this was smart politics, whether whether I like it or not, um, whether I I like Joe Biden bailing out student loans, which I don't think he constitutionally can do. And by the way, neither did Barack Obama. Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi up until the moment he did it, you can't deny it's smart politics. That That's kind of the bad thing here is this helped him with younger progressive voters in the midterms. And now if the Supreme Court throws it out, he gets to blame the conservative court, tie that back to Roe v. Wade for the progressive act of his base. It was very smart politics for him to do it. And that's kind of the problem. And the danger here is because it was smart politics it encouraged the president to do something unconstitutional and designed it in such a way that he couldn't be challenged because of lack of standing uh, on, on a major issue. It, it, it subverts the constitutional process. It gets to what John Adams said, that this is a constitution for a moral people. And increasingly, we're not a moral people who can adhere to the structure of the constitution because when the politics is smart to do something unconstitutional, you do it and damn the consequences, and then you blame other people when it fails. But, yeah, smart politics. Now, back to the phones. Vic, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm just fine. So I had a question. Um, would it be possible, and I don't think, uh, well, actually, Congress could do it now, but since uh, uh, taxes start in the House, I believe, if, if Congress could pass a law that if a college or university ever received federal grants or any kind of federal money, can they then tax the endowments of the colleges and universities to pay off student debt? You know, as a matter of fact, uh, what Republicans are contemplating is going after the endowments of major institutions like Harvard and others. Uh, and, and they've got a pretty good theory for doing so. The theory being that uh, as Harvard becomes more and more insulated and insular and has these massive endowments, uh, they're still forcing a disproportionate number of students to get student loans when they could cover the costs. Uh, therefore, they will tax the money for educational purposes themselves uh, and go to war with these major institutions over their endowments. Whether it's wise or not, I don't know, but I think we're beyond that at this point. When you weaponize the student loan program in a bailout that's unconstitutional for political purposes, you're playing with fire. And you're you're going to you're going to cause a backlash eventually. Uh, Richard, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show, Richard. Hey, Eric, how you doing, brother? Good. How are you? Good, good. I, I got to be honest though. You're what I agree that you know maybe how it was done isn't the best. But the first thing is when Congress doesn't act, it's up to our other elected officials. All right. And I don't agree with doing it unconstitutionally, but I do agree that it needs to be done. I completely disagree with the caller and with your sentiment that we take on these student loans knowing what we're doing. First thing is the American dream has changed and it was pitched to us uh, many, many years ago, which is why Congress made the change that they did to allow student loans that you can no longer just get up, go to work, 
nine to five, make enough money to buy a home and live happily and retire. That's not how it works anymore. We were told you have to have a piece of paper that qualifies you to make more. You got to go to college. The problem with going to college, it costs a lot of money. And as an 18 year old, you shouldn't have good credit, right? You shouldn't be able to sign to $30,000 a year and you need a co-signer. But if your parents didn't go to college and their grandparents didn't go to college and you live in poverty, why would my poor parent be able to co-sign for my bad or lack of credit? That doesn't make sense. So income student loan. The problem is you have all these schools that just, like you said, have no incentive to appropriately lend or guide the student. They just say, what do you want to learn? We have that program. Here's how much it costs. We can get you a student loan. Nothing is discussed about the viability of the field. Nothing is discussed about, you know, the, the metrics of the job and what else you might need to learn and, and, and the longevity of employment options or the changes that may come in. Your, nothing. None of that is discussed. It's simply, do you want to be a nurse? Do you want to be a welder? Do you want to be a dental technician? And especially in these vocational training situations where you've got these pop-up schools, like let's take a good one like Botter, who shows up and says, hey, we can teach everyone how to be a nurse. We find out that you're just full of crap and your education isn't that good, yet there's no uh, uh, backstop for the fact that these students owe money. In that case, there was because there was a lawsuit. But in general, that's what happens with well-meaning schools. I'm talking – Mercer, uh, Spelman, Georgia State, Clayton State, Kennesaw State, they, guidance counselors all do the same thing. What do you want to learn? Here's how you get a student loan. Nothing is ever discussed about what this job field will mean for the economy in the future and how you're going to pay this back. It's automatically assumed and inundated that once you get the paper, you get a better job. Yep, okay. Right. You, 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 you make a lot of great points, uh, but here's, here's the problem. Uh, one is, again, goes back to the constitutionality of it. Um, a, a president can't unilaterally waive these loans, and even Joe Biden said he couldn't until the moment he did. Uh, two, it only deals with a portion of them. It, it doesn't deal with the big ones you're talking about, the, the private student loans that are unsubsidized, which is actually what most people have. They're not affected by this at all. Those those are still there. And three, just because the circumstances change or you didn't have all the knowledge as an 18-year-old, you're still presumed to be an adult who ignorance of the situation isn't an excuse. You get to vote. You get to join the military. You're an adult. Uh, and this is just like when someone buys a house and the circumstances of their life and, and job situation change. The taxpayers don't bail you out. Yeah, it sucks. It's not fair. And you absolutely got taken advantage of. But is that a burden for the American taxpayers? Or I frankly think this should be on the school. And if anything, we should be allowing people to sue schools for misrepresenting the situation. At the least, it should, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't I don't necessarily agree with, with, with just saying the heck with the Constitution. I'm going to do it this way. Um, but again, if, if, our, if Congress is not going to act, and this is a national problem that you can see, and you're not acting, right, because student loan debt is just as high as home loan debt, right, or higher, and you're not changing the, the rules of the game, then something has to be done. I don't agree with changing, you know, just saying, you know, screw the Constitution. You're right. We should vote it out. But at the very least, this should be able to be put into a bankruptcy. Just like you said, as an adult, you yeah. go out and buy a house. If your circumstances change, you have an option. As a student at 18, with no money, no credit, you have very, very, very slim options for bettering your life. And a student loan just seems like common sense at that point. 
get yeah. a degree and get a better life. So if it doesn't work out, I should be able to put that in bankruptcy. It, maybe the school didn't purposely misrepresent. Maybe the school, you know, started a program that they thought was going to be great for the Atlanta film industry. And then something happens and the Atlanta film industry goes away in 10 years. And now I can't get a job. And it took me five, six, seven years, especially going part time to get a degree. I get out in three years. I don't get hired. And now the industry goes away. What am I supposed to do with this $80,000 right. piece of paper? You that I have? should be able to file bankruptcy. And that's something the Republicans 100 percent. And this is completely on my party. It is them. And I was writing at redstate.com at the time when they were doing this and was writing, this is a terrible idea that will come back to haunt you, and it has. Um, I would caution you, though, that uh, just because you think we must act, uh, be very careful with that logic, because uh, when you think there's a cause for which we must act, uh, the temptation is to do what Joe Biden did and did it in a way that is unconstitutional. And the problem here ultimately is I'm like 99% sure the Supreme Court is going to throw this out. Uh, they kind of yeah. have to. And think of yeah. all the people who are now uh, banking on a future without having to pay Depending these on loans. It. Yep. <laughs> and, and they're going to get the rug pulled back from under them. I honestly do think it should be a bipartisan thing to go back in and change the bankruptcy code. Richard, i got to leave you there. I really appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much. Well said. Uh, we can continue to disagree on some of that stuff. But this is, I mean, really, this is the issue. And, and, and this is the Republicans. When Republicans in the early 2000s decided to prohibit discharging student loans in bankruptcy, I was not on radio at the time, but I was writing and wrote it was a terrible idea that this would come back to haunt them uh, by allowing kids to get student loans and then not allowing them to file bankruptcy to get rid of those student loans. You were taking away every responsible incentive for colleges and universities to be responsible in their in their uh, giving of student loans by taking away an ability to bankrupt and get rid of those, you were going to burden these students long term. We are at the point of so many people wanting the president to do something even he said was unconstitutional until he did it because the Republicans in the early 2000s listened to banking lobbyists and decided to change the bankruptcy code. This 100% is chickens coming home to roost for Republicans listening to uh, bank lobbyists instead of listening to the people, the voters who would be burdened. And I would recommend to the GOP to right now structure bipartisan legislation to go back in and change the bankruptcy code back to the way it used to be in order to allow people to file for bankruptcy to wipe out their student loan debt. It's unsecured debt. They should be able to wipe it out. And that would then force colleges and universities uh, without ever having to deal with them continually raising their tuition rates well above the rate of inflation. It would force them to have to be more responsible in the administration of the student loan programs within their universities. If you want real change on this issue, you should be fighting for the ability to file bankruptcy against your student loans. You absolutely should do that. The Republicans never should have made the change. And Republicans in the future should remember where we are right now with the president of the United States attempting an unconstitutional student loan bailout solely because the Republicans listened to bank lobbyists in the early 2000s, restructured the bankruptcy rule, and ruined the lives of a whole lot of people 
uh, thinking that they were doing some good because the bank lobbyists told them they were. Sometimes maybe don't listen to the big banks. Yeah, I, look, I, 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 I gotta, I put this on uh, the GOP at the time because I remember the fight at the time. I was there as a conservative. And by the way, it was the conservatives in the House of Representatives who were fighting this too. Conservatives in the House of Representatives, we, we, we got to be mindful of the picture here. In the early 2000s, when Republicans were listening to the bank lobbyists saying we're going to make it so that conservative, so that people can't uh, discharge their student loans in bankruptcy, it was the House conservatives saying bad idea. It was the House conservatives saying don't go down this road. You're going to create a very bad precedent for a lot of people, and you're going to remove the brakes from the student loan program. And the leadership and the bank lobbyists and the moderates said, no, 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 let's listen to the bankers. Conservatives said what was going to happen would happen, and no one wanted to listen to the conservatives. They were a bunch of worry warts, but the conservatives were right. Now, we need to get more conservatives elected, and um, one way to do that is to support Patriot Mobile. And all you do to support Patriot Mobile is you move your business to them. Move your business to Patriot Mobile. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. What are they? A cell phone company. That's it. They're a cell phone company. You get guaranteed great service. In fact, They use the same cell towers you're probably already using with your existing cell phone company. And when you move your business to Patriot Mobile, you get guaranteed great service, and they take a portion of their profits. They give it to the conservative movement, the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement, parents battling the wokes on school boards. They funded a lot of campaigns of conservative parents to school boards. You can take your pre-existing current cell phone number and move it to Patriot Mobile. If you have an unlocked cell phone, you bought it yourself, it wasn't given to you by your existing carrier, you can take that phone to Patriot Mobile. You can do it all online at patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. If you don't believe me on the coverage, go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. They have a detailed coverage map down to your house. Put in your address, you see 5G, data, voice, all of that. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You're doing business with a Christian conservative company that supports the causes you care about. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. If you right now go text DATA to 33777 and click the link, you get 15% off the daily emails annual subscription rate. And you should because we did the deep dive today on the entitlement reform package Mike Pence is pushing. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Right now, I got to ask you, in all seriousness, can we get rid of Prince Harry? I mean, what do we have to do to get this guy to shut up? You know, so I don't know if you've seen it. I don't normally watch South Park anymore, but I had to go watch the episode about Prince Harry or I'm sorry, the Prince of Canada and the Princess of Canada on their worldwide privacy tour. And it was very clearly them. Uh, And he's very upset about America's First Amendment. He'd like to sue South Park and he can't. He's now expected to unpack his experiences with a controversial trauma expert during a virtual event in which attendees can submit questions for the former royal prince, well, he's still technically a prince, to answer why. Why are we subjected to the, what did we do wrong? A guy I follow on Twitter 
tweeted out, the TV specials will continue until the love and admiration start. It's not going to start. Maggie, Maggie, <laughs> Megan and Harry are ridiculously farcical people who do not understand that they are in the position they are in with the attention they are in because of who Prince Harry is. Meghan Markle was not a very successful actress. And then she got uh, married into that family and, and broke her husband away from it and has now decided to ritually parade him about for all the world to see as some sort of zoo animal in therapy so that they can do Netflix specials and make a lot of money. And what's so absurd here is is the amount of privacy they want, the amount of lecturing they do, and, and the amount of hatred they have for the British monarchy, and they would be nothing, nothing but for the British monarchy. And maybe he should come to terms with the fact that he would be a nothing but for who his father is and grandmother was. And I kind of resent like hell that there's no escaping this. Certainly you don't have to watch. I don't watch. I I watched the first little bit of that Netflix thing just to see what it was about. I have never seen two more vapid, shallow people, I mean, documenting their entire lives. They very clearly documented all this stuff knowing they wanted some sort of deal because who the hell videotapes all of this stuff in their lives so that they could sell it to Netflix? Uh, and if I were a member of the British royal family, I wouldn't invite that kid to the to his dad's coronation. I wouldn't talk to him. I would have nothing because he's just going to add chapters to his book. He's completely untrustworthy. Whatever happened to the kid who ran into fire in Afghanistan to kill the bad guys? I mean, that guy. I mean, can, can we get his testicular fortitude out of his wife's lockbox, get him back some of his masculinity and stop the whole weepy emo crying for his wife so she can be famous again? Nonsense. This is just embarrassing embarrassing and sadly we're all subjected to it um you can't escape it it's in the headlines all the time i do not care about these people and why am i subjected to ongoing news stories about them they are worthless shallow people who are bitter and contemptuous of the fame they have and should be ashamed of themselves now having gotten that off my chest we will move on to something everyone should remember and no one seems to have remembered. 